0: following is a teaching message from shore community church for more information on shore for our teaching resources visit www.shore.org.nz uh, we're going to get into our passage of scripture this morning so first peter is where we're going to be kyle Maxwell is going to read the scripture this morning here he is right here thank you kyle come and read for us first peter uh, it's chapter one today Verse uh, starting in verse three. Thanks, mate.
1: Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation. That is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls concerning this salvation the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things.
0: Thanks, Kyle. I came across an article the other day in Wired magazine. so popular American magazine on technology and culture. And this article caught my attention. The title of the article was On Hope in a Time of Hopelessness, which I thought was an interesting kind of article to come across in Wired magazine. And so the author was kind of talking about how we live in this age of hopelessness and painted this picture of doom and despair and how everybody lives with this impending sense of gloom. And and, and she connected this a lot to mental illness and rise of depression and anxiety and so on, and it was pretty grim reading. You get right to the end of the article, and in the second to last paragraph, she finally gets to her view of hope, talks about what what hope is and where hope can be found. And here is what she says. What hope means is getting up every day in the full knowledge that nothing means anything, and we're all going to die pointlessly and too soon, and getting on with blank anyway, And eventually, maybe soon, probably not, things change. Eventually, probably not today, you feel better or different. That's what hope is. That's it. It's all BS and necessary, and anyone can do it. You're welcome. So, (laughs) welcome to the sermon this morning. I I didn't find that particularly hopeful. I was looking for a bit more than that, you know? I mean, that just kind of leaves you cold, doesn't it? That basically, what is hope? It's just kind of getting through the day. It's just hoping I feel better. It's just maybe, you know, things will change, but then maybe they won't because life's pointless anyway, and let's just try and kind of drag ourselves through the day. Um, And that's just one writer's view of the world. Um, But I think it's probably symbolic of the way a lot of people would see life and, See hope, and and you can certainly understand the sentiment. Like, you know, a lot of people I think feel like life is fairly hopeless. It's pretty easy to look around the world and have a sense of hopelessness right now, isn't it? I mean, I think a lot of people just have that kind of sense of gloom, the sense of doom. I mean, we're in the middle of this pandemic, and we see injustice, we see oppression, we see violence, we see growing inequality, we see social fragmentation and tribalism and just a, a, a eroding of the social fabric of our world. We feel kind of a sense of hopelessness about what's happening globally. And, and then we look in our lives, and a lot of people just live day to day with the experience of hopelessness. Would you say so? That life for a lot of people, it's just meaningless. It's just hard. It's just getting through the day. It's just life feels monotonous. Life feels tedious. Life feels random. And they might want a sense of hope. But for a lot of people, hope I think is a pretty elusive sort of commodity. And we end up with just this very thin version of it that sort of says, well, I just hope things get better. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. It's all I can hold on to. It's so all we can reach for. Hope's kind of a resource in short supply these days. And in the midst of, of all of that, in the midst of this culture of hopelessness, you get this passage from 1 Peter. And what Peter is doing is just setting out for us this beautiful vision of hope. I mean, this passage could have had the same title as that article in Wide magazine. Peter could have called this on hope. In a time of hopelessness. But where he gets to, it couldn't be more different from where the author of that article landed. This vision of hope could not be more different. As I read through this, I don't know about you, but I was just struck by that phrase in verse 3, living hope. I couldn't get past it. Just those two words, living hope, they they captured me and they've just become the, the heart of what I want to share this morning around hope. That idea that hope is living and it's active, it's not just an idea. You know, hope is not just this doctrine. It's not just something that sits on the shelf. It's not just an intellectual concept. And it's not just a pipe dream. You know, hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not just this whim that maybe I hope life's going to get better. Peter's talking about this living hope, this real dynamic hope that is alive, that changes our lives, that breathes meaning and purpose and dignity and value and into the present. This is living hope. So I want to just walk through this passage with you. There are three dimensions of hope that Peter brings out here. He's looking first to the future, then to the present, and then to the past. And this is the way he frames it. These are all dimensions of this living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So let me walk through them with you. First of all, he talks about a hope that secures our future. This starts in verse 3. I'll read from halfway down. In his great mercy, that's God, in his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this this hope that we have is based on the resurrection. It's the first thing that we want to say about hope. It's It's a future hope of what God is going to do, but it's based on something that has happened in the past, the resurrection of Jesus. Through his resurrection, Jesus has defeated sin. He's defeated death. He's defeated Satan. And he's brought about the beginnings of this new world that is full of hope, the beginnings of this thing called the kingdom of God, that we only see part of it now. We only have a fraction of it now, but one day it'll be here in all of its fullness. And that future was secured by the resurrection of Jesus. That's where it was purchased. And so what does this future look like? Peter tells us, he says, verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. So this, this future that God's got in store, it's like an inheritance. It's like, uh, you know, think about a trust fund that's set up for a child. So they, they don't have this money yet. There's a sum of money that's put aside, and it's sitting there. And when you turn 18, you can finally get it. You know, but it, it's not going to be yours until you get to that day. You're going to have to wait it out. But in the meantime, you know it's there, and you're looking forward to that day. Peter's saying that's kind of like what it is with this hope that we have. It's just sitting there for us. We can't, we can't access it yet. We're not there yet, but it is secure. Peter says it's imperishable, this hope that we have. It's not going to decay. It's not going to wear out. It's not going to lose value. It's not going to depreciate in value. It is absolutely rock solid, but it's not there yet for us. We're journeying through, but that hope is still waiting for us in the future. And then Peter gives us the essence of what this hope is all about. He says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So the heart of this hope is salvation. That's what we're waiting for, is salvation. That might sound a little bit strange because you say, well, I thought I already had salvation. I, I thought I got that the day that I was saved. And yes, you did. But Peter talks about salvation in a few different ways in this letter. He talks about it as past and present and future. We, we have been saved. That's the past. We are being saved in the future, in the present. And we will be saved one day in the future. The greatest part of our salvation is still to come. When Jesus returns, he's going to bring about this world in which we experience full and final salvation. And that means a world that is free of everything that causes us hopelessness in the present. A world that's free of everything that, that plagues our lives and disrupts our lives in the present. That's the world that's coming down the track for us. It's a world where there is no more illness. It's a world where there's no more cancer. You know, We pray for Andy this morning. We're praying for him and we're, and we're praying with our eyes on that day. When God brings about this world where there is no more of these illnesses and sicknesses and injuries that plague our bodies in the present, that's a present reality. It's not going to be part of God's new world. Then there will only be health and and abundance and life and peace and blessing, and and prosperity, and fullness in every sense of the word. And we will have perfected relationships with God, and with self, and with others, and with the world. And we'll live for all eternity in that state of perfection and absolute bliss. That's the future hope. That's salvation that's coming. And that future picture of hope that Peter gives us is so vital to have in the present. Sometimes, as Christians, we kind of think that's just, it's kind of pie in the sky. All that talk about heaven, all that talk about the new heavens and the new earth doesn't really mean anything in the present. I would argue that is an absolutely vital piece of the picture to have in place because it gives meaning to our lives in the present. That's our destination, that's where we're heading, that's what gives us hope in the present. And and this is what modern Western culture has largely removed, is that future that waits there for us. You have over the past couple of hundred years, society has generally abandoned the Christian story, generally abandoned the Christian narrative that that has underpinned society. And so as a result of that, we're now living in a culture that has taken away the end of the story, that has removed that future. And so secular culture says there is nothing after this life. You have fun because when you die, that's it. You know, eat, drink and be merry because once all the pieces go back in the box at the end of the game, that's it. So we have a culture that has removed that final ending of the story. And when you remove the end of the story, you remove hope. And so we have a culture now with a profound sense of hopelessness because our culture has lost its own story. Our culture has lost the ending of the story. And where there is no future, there is no hope. And we wonder why people have such a sense of hopelessness today. We wonder why people live without purpose, without meaning, with with just a thin little shadow of hope, but no real sense of its depth and its richness. It's because we're missing the destination that humanity was intended to move towards. We're missing that final picture of our future hope. Our society has removed it and has left us, maybe unintendedly, with a profound lack of hope. And it's a moment, I think, for Christians to step forward and say, we've got a better story here. We've got a word of hope to speak. We've got a message of hope that's far deeper than what our culture is talking about. People are looking for hope. They're often not looking for God, but they're looking for hope. There is a deep, deep cry in the human heart for a sense of hope and purpose in life, and we have a moment to speak that message of hope and say we know how the story ends. It's not just live and then die and then that's it. We know that there is more to this life and we can restore that sense of future. It's vital that 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 picture is there because it breathes life back into the present. Viktor Frankl was uh, an Austrian Jew who lived during the Nazi regime, and along with many others he was rounded up by the Nazis and taken off to concentration camps. He ended up in Auschwitz and uh, spent time there and then was taken to Dachau, uh, some of the worst uh, places among all of the concentration camps that the Nazis ran. And early on in his time in Auschwitz, he was separated from his wife, she was immediately taken to the gas chambers and he didn't realise that until later after the war. And he was taken with a whole bunch of other guys into a a small little shed where they lived, and they were were packed in. Far more people than should have ever been packed into a room just sleeping in this congested environment. They had barely any food, just tiny little pieces of bread to last them days, maybe a little bit of watery soup sometimes, horribly mistreated by the guards. And in the midst of that time, Viktor Frankl talks about how what kept so many of them alive was their sense of hope. And they would have these conversations about what they were going to do when they got out. And they'd, they'd talk about what kind of houses they wanted to live in when they got released. And, and the kind of beds they'd have, they wanted to sleep on. You know, while they're sleeping on these awful wooden slat beds. They'd talk about, you know, what, what are we going to sleep on when we get out of here? They'd talk about the meals they were going to have, and they'd invite each other around for dinner, and, and you know, talk about the meals they would cook for each other while they're eating these tiny little morsels of bread. And they'd talk about being united with their wives and their families. And he said that there, there was a difference, often between the ones who survived and the ones who didn't, sometimes came down to that sense of hope. And you think, if that hope kept those men alive in Auschwitz, how much more should this living hope animate our lives and, and strengthen us in the present? Because that, that hope those guys had, that was completely insecure hope. They had no real idea whether they would get out or not. It was a lot more likely they were gonna die. They had no certainty. They had no real confidence, but they held on to some semblance of hope. We, on the other hand, have an absolute rock-solid certainty about the hope that we have. The Bible says we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And if a hope that sustained a group of men in Auschwitz can, can get them through, we have a hope that should sustain us through our lives and orientate us towards the future. We have a hope that says to us, evil does not have the final word. Sin does not have the final word. Suffering does not have the final word. Cancer does not have the final word. God has the final word. And one day he will make all things new. And one day he will bring this world and and humanity to their final destination. We need that hope burning in our soul because it makes sense of our present. So we have this hope that secures our future. And then, very connected to this, we have a hope that sustains our present. And Peter comes on to this in verse uh, 6. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though," though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So Peter's not being naive about things here. He, he's not saying, well, we've got this future there, so life's going to be fine in the present. No, he acknowledges life's hard and life's full of challenges in the present. And he talks about all kinds of trials. We know this, right? I mean, we, we know what all kinds of trials means because we face them. We, face, or we could pass the microphone around this morning and just each share the trials, the struggles, the difficulties that we're going through. They're many and they're varied. They're big sometimes, they're small sometimes, sometimes it's health challenges, sometimes it's relationship challenges, sometimes it's financial challenges, but we know that life is full of these trials. And here's what Peter says God is doing in the midst of these trials. Verse 7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, thanks, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So it kind of seems here like Peter's switched to talking about faith. Seems like he's maybe left hope behind. But actually, faith and hope are inseparably connected. In fact, the the, the clearest definition that we get of faith in the Bible includes hope. In Hebrews 1.1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So you see faith and hope both go together in that verse. What is faith? Well, it's confidence in what we're hoping for. Confidence in God's future. It's, and it's the assurance of what we don't see in the present. That God is here, that God is with us, and that God is faithful. That's faith. And I would suggest that it's, it's pretty easy to have faith when life's good. You know, when life's relatively hassle-free, those are times when it's quite easy to have faith. We're all very proud of our faith, aren't we, when life's quite straightforward. But then when things start coming off the rails, what happens? What happens to all of that faith? Listen to the words of Charles Spurgeon, who talks about this. He says, There are a great many of you who appear to have a large stock of faith, but it is only because you are in very good health and your business is prospering. If you happened to get a disordered liver or your business should fail, I should not be surprised if nine parts out of ten of your wonderful faith should evaporate. <laughs> good old Charles. He tells it like it is. How would you like to have him as your preacher every week? You know, he's saying, you know, you've you got this great faith, haven't you? But that's because life's good. What happens when your business fails? What happens when your health fails? What happens when your marriage fails? Then where's your faith? And a lot of the time, that amazing faith we thought we had, it disappears. And this is why Peter talks about trials and the way that they prove our faith. The picture he gives you is this picture of gold being refined. In the ancient world, gold was extracted from the ground, and then it was put into a furnace, along with all of the other sediment around it. And so you'd have it in this container, and the container was held over this furnace. It could get up to 1,000 degrees. And the person who was refining this would hold it there over the furnace. And, of course, the first thing that's going to happen when you hold that there is you're going to find out if this is really gold or not. Because if it's not, it's just going to be consumed. And then if it is gold and you've got genuine gold there, what starts to happen under that kind of intense heat is the impurities around the gold the dross and the the sediment and the, the dregs, that all comes away from the gold and it rises up to the top. And then the refiner could scrape that away and scrape the surface, take the impurities away until all that you're left with is that pure gold. And Peter's offering that to us as a picture of what faith looks like when life gets hard and what hope looks like when life gets hard. He's saying sometimes... God's going to let you go through the fire. Sometimes God's going to allow you to go through the fire. And, and some of you are in the fire right now. Some of you are in that place of testing, of struggle, of pain. Now, it's, it's not that God deliberately causes all of that to come upon you. The Bible says God does not willingly bring affliction to anyone. It's not that God's caused that to happen, but he allows you to go through the fire. He allows you to be in that place of struggle. And one of the reasons that he allows it is because that is the place where your faith is going to be refined. That is the only place where your faith is truly going to be proved genuine. It's not going to be when life is good. It's not going to be when everything's easy. It's going to be in the fire. And the first thing that happens in the fire is you find out what kind of faith you've got. That's the first thing that happens. When, when everything hits the wall and life falls apart, the amazing faith you thought you had, you suddenly realize, wow, that's not quite as rock solid as I thought it was. I don't have this bulletproof faith. I've only got a tiny little shriveled up faith. But then God says to you, okay, I can work with that. And then what he starts to do is to strip away the impurities from your faith. He starts to skim away the impurities, the things that we kind of build up in our lives that hinder our faith, he starts to, to strip away that sense of control that you thought you had over your life and that tight-fisted grip that you've got on everything that's going on where you think you're the master of your own fate. And God says, I'm going to strip that away. Starts to take away that sense of self-sufficiency that we often have where we just totally reliant on our own self and our own resources and sometimes God allows that to be taken away and the ground under our feet starts to feel very insecure. Sometimes God starts to take away other idols in our lives that have taken the place of Him until all that's left are those little specks of faith. And then God says, now I'm going to start to refine. Now I'm going to start to purify that faith. And He does this by by gently and tenderly drawing us back to those things, those convictions that are at the very heart of our faith. The conviction that God is good. I mean, you can say that in the good times, right? I mean, you can nod your head, yes, God is good. But what about when you're in the fire? That's hard to say, then, isn't it? God is good when everything around me seems to speak to the contrary. That—that's faith. It's the—it's the willingness to say God is faithful. When I just can't see it, it makes no—I don't understand what He's doing. And yet I'm willing to say in faith, God is faithful. So willingness to say God is in control, even when things seem so random and so senseless, and I don't know why God hasn't done what I'm asking him to do, and I don't know why he's doing what I've asked him not to do, and this makes no sense to me. But faith is that willingness still to have the assurance of saying, I believe, God, you are sovereign. I believe that you're still in control. I believe that somehow you're still on the throne I don't feel it. I don't sense it. But, And it's a willingness to believe against all the odds that God is present. When you can't feel a scrap of his presence, when you feel isolated from him, you feel abandoned, you feel totally empty and devoid of the presence of God, faith is simply saying, God, I believe that you are present. You are here. Please don't think that faith is this thing that you've got to try and conjure up like you've got to try and be really strong in faith. It's not you trying desperately to cling on to God. It's you having the assurance that God is clinging on to you. It's you knowing that you are held in the hands of a loving God and resting in that. It's just knowing that God is bigger than all of us, and He is here, and He is good. Faith is that deep assurance in those deep truths, even in the middle of the fire. And so if you're going through the fire today, then maybe open your heart to that purifying work that God is wanting to do. It's uncomfortable and it's painful and it's brutal and every part of you just wants to get out of the fire. But God may just be prompting you and saying to you this morning, I'm at work. I'm doing some of my best work right now in the fire. I'm going to be refining that faith. That is part of our living hope. So we have this hope that secures our future We have a hope that sustains us in the presence. And then, Peter says, we have a hope that fulfills the past. And he says in verse 10, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find the time and the circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Sometimes it seems like Peter's going off on a little digression. We can't always follow. Like, what are you? How does this relate to what you were just saying? Here's what he's saying. The prophets in the Old Testament, they talked about this hope too. Like we think of this just, we have this future hope out here. But all the way back in the Old Testament, the prophets were speaking with hope. And they were talking about the hope that was coming in Jesus. And they, each of them had just had a little piece of it. Each of the prophets, they just had a little glimpse of the picture. So Isaiah talks about the servant who would come and bear the, the sins of many. And Jeremiah comes and talks about the new covenant that God's going to make. And Ezekiel comes and talks about the dead bones that are going to live again. And Joel comes and talks about the spirit that's going to be poured out upon all people. They didn't know exactly what they were saying. I mean, God gave them these words, but they were like looking into a fog. They couldn't see everything that was going to be fulfilled by their words, but they spoke those words in faith. And Peter says, now you, as New Testament believers, you're standing downstream from all that and you see how that's fulfilled because you see the way all those promises were fulfilled in Jesus. And even more than that, you now see how all those promises are fulfilled in your life that you're the beneficiary of all that. You are the ones who have had your sins forgiven like the prophet spoke of. You are under the new covenant like Jeremiah talked about. You are filled with the Holy Spirit like Joel talked about. You've got all these promises flooding into your life. And so just be aware of what a privileged position you have in the whole story. Like we see now what generations of God's people long to see, didn't we? I mean, they wanted to see what is, this, what is this hope that these prophets are talking about. We see it because we look back now on Jesus. And even more than that, we experience what generations of God's people longed to experience. I mean, Solomon in the Old Testament, he's standing there saying, man, I can't believe this temple that I've just built is going to be filled by the presence of God. How is that possible? God fills the whole heavens. How can he possibly come down into this temple? Imagine if someone had tapped Solomon on the shoulder and said, by the way, in a few hundred years the Holy Spirit is going to fill the lives of individuals, like fill the lives of women and men. I think he would have just keeled over. It's too much. Like he, he struggled to believe the temple could contain the presence of God. And now here we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we can be so blasé. But this is part of our hope to realize we have the fulfillment of these promises that so many others would have loved to see. And part of our hope is keeping our eyes fixed on those promises Fixed on Jesus and appreciating that these are fulfilled in our lives. If I can give you a little analogy here, a little Olympic analogy. Um, think about the rowing team. We've done quite well in the rowing, haven't we? The Olympics. So think about the image of the Olympic rowers. Think about the men's eight. When rowing must be one of the only sports where you move forward by facing backwards. Is that right? Are there any others like that? So here you are moving forward. But you're looking back, and I think that's a great picture of how the Christian life's supposed to be lived. We're moving forward in life, but we're facing backwards. We're looking back towards Jesus. We're looking back to the promises of the Bible in the Old Testament, New Testament, and we're seeing how these are fulfilled in our life. We're getting hope from the past, which sustains us in the present. And so maybe that's something to keep in mind as you journey forward in your Christian life, move forward by facing backwards, looking back to the goodness of God in your life, in Jesus, and in the promises of Scripture. The hope that we have fulfills the past. So we have this hope that secures our future. We have a hope that sustains us in the present. We have a hope that fulfills all the promises of the past. I want to finish just by reading some words of an old hymn, And we're going to sing a version of this hymn after communion, but words that speak so powerfully into this hope that we have, this past, present, and future hope. Just let these words wash over you as we finish. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That's our hope. That's our living hope. That future hope that looks towards Christ, that present hope that sustains us in the fire, in the stormy gales of life, and that hope that looks to the past and is built on the rock solid foundation of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection his righteousness. May we be sustained and encouraged by that living hope all the days of our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that for us, hope is a person, the person of Jesus. We thank you that this is not just something that we wish for. But Jesus, you are our hope. I want to pray for every person who's in the room this morning, every person who may be watching or listening online, and and lift up to you particularly today, Lord Jesus, those who just feel hopeless. I lift up to you, Lord Jesus, that sense of despair that so many people are feeling, those that just feel heavy-hearted, and downcast, and just can't see much hope at all. And I want to pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill them with a fresh hope that comes only from you. Lord, reassure them that this is nothing they can conjure up themselves. Reassure them, Lord, that they don't have to try and be anything for anyone. But I pray they would just, in this moment, be able to open their arms, open their heart, and receive Just receive the hope that comes only from you. And even though, God, we don't know how our situations are going to turn out, we don't know if things are going to get better or worse, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we thank you that you are the one who holds us. You are the one who holds the future. You are the one who holds us securely in our arms. And so we just pray for an outpouring of the hope and the peace that comes from you alone to settle in the hearts of those who need to receive it this morning. And we just ask that they would know they are sustained by you every step of the journey. We thank you, God, that your hope is an anchor for our soul. And we just want to dwell in that place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shore Community Church.